and doing some trainings for churches uh, so they could continue to do the same. Uh, then in 20, 2004, uh, the ministry went independent. It became Hand Evangelism Ministries International. We did do some things overseas, helped run, uh, run some camps for the deaf and blind in, in other nations, things like that. But with that transition to uh, our ministry's independence came some growth in different areas. So now, after some restructuring, we have our three main areas of ministry. Um, we have our disability ministries department. Uh, we our big our big program throughout the year is our or through our in, in the year is our summer camp program, our handy camp program, and that was my first uh, interaction with the ministry as a camper at about eight years old. Um, they didn't kick me out. They invited me back several years later as a Bible teacher uh, for one of the younger groups. Um, and now I get to do a lot of our summer staff recruiting. So I just came back from three weeks, 2,500 miles at like six different Christian colleges, um, setting up a booth, guest speaking in classes, sharing about what we do. And then when camp happens, uh, my role is activities coordinator. So I get to be in charge of all the fun and games um, and a lot of just the day-to-day -day life of camp. Um, it's, it's, for me, I'm super passionate about more than just running activities. It's about creating an environment where our friends with special needs can feel welcome, can feel safe, um, and can learn more about Jesus. Um, I will share a bit more about that if you would like afterwards. Um, but we also have our grief and bereavement ministry. We have uh, a support group for parents who have lost a child with special needs and now just those who have lost a family member, um, a time for them to get together, to dive into the word and support one another in that way. Um, as well as our training and equipping ministry, we found that with all this pain, hurt, brokenness in the world, uh, there's, there's so much out there that we can't just do ourselves, but we want to especially see the churches go out and reach out to their communities um, in these ways. So we often will go in and do weekend seminars on disability, grief and loss, uh, mental health, divorce, abuse, um, and be able to help the church maybe have some more strategies for how to serve some of their members or those in their community uh, who are hurting and going through um, going through life's challenges. As was mentioned, we have a few brochures, um, and I would definitely be happy to share uh, a bit later, but um, what I'd like to do is, is um, dive into God's Word a bit and um, discuss a bit about what the Bible says about disabilities and what our perspective should be on that. So let me open up in prayer, and then we will uh, we'll dive in. Let's pray. Dear Lord, we thank you for this opportunity we have to look into your word, and we pray, Lord, that you will open our hearts and minds as we study this um, topic. We pray, Lord, that you will help us um, to be willing to step out of our comfort zone and to truly learn to love our neighbor as ourselves. We um, pray that you will bless us the rest of this evening and help us as we go um, on from here this week, um, help us to be a light um, wherever you put us. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, to kick things off, um, I do want to mention um, this is not a disability awareness seminar. I'm not here to give strategies and tips. That's in my book. No, I'm just kidding. It's not in my book. Um, so uh, I, I'd more like to look at several verses, several passages, 
and kind of get a, a, a realignment, kind of get a, a perspective shift, it's more of a big picture uh, view of what does the Bible say about disabilities um, and how we are to respond to some of those realities in God's word. Um, to start off with, I'd like to quickly look at Ecclesiastes 12. Obviously, in Ecclesiastes, we have the topic all through the book of vanity, all is vanity, um, chasing after the wind, futility of so much that's out there in our world. But as Ecclesiastes ends, in verse 13, we're told, Ecclesiastes 12, 13, the end of the matter, all has been heard. Fear God and keep his commandments, for this is the whole duty of man. Let me read that part again. Fear God and keep his commandments, for this is the whole duty of man. God gives us commands. He gives us instruction, yes. But the Christian life is so much more than just a list of do's and don'ts. So I'm not here to say that oh, well, there's no laws, there's no rules. Yes, there's commands for how we're to live. But it's about that big picture perspective. And here, we're pointed to, after we look at all the futility of all that's around in the world, fear God, keep his commandments. Okay, so we could spend a lot of time on the fear of God. Look at Proverbs. Keep his commandments. Well, okay, we know about the... Ten Commandments, you can list them, but what, what are we talking about here? What are those commandments? What are the most important commandments? Well, that's what Jesus was asked by some of the religious leaders. We'll go from Ecclesiastes 12 to Mark 12. Turn with me to Mark 12. Jesus was constantly questioned and tested by the religious leaders. Sometimes they had sincere questions. Sometimes they were seeking to trip him up. And at the end of Mark 12, verse 28, we're told, And one of the scribes came up and heard them disputing with one another, and seeing that he answered them well, asked him, Which commandment is the most important of all? Jesus answered, the most important is, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one, and you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength. The second is this, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. There is no other commandment greater than these. So as we boil down all those Ten Commandments and, and directives that we're told on how we're to live our Christian life, we're told to love God, all our heart, soul, mind, strength. Love our neighbor as ourselves. We have Mark 12:30, love the Lord your God, on our handy camp t-shirts every year um, as a great reminder. And that's enough of a, a lifelong project in and of itself, isn't it? Learning to grow in our love for God with all of our heart, soul, mind, strength. But from that should then flow, love your neighbor as yourself. And that's something we often struggle with as well. 
First John refers to it in, in saying, like, how can we say that we love God if we don't really love others? So then the question arises, well, what does it really mean to love your neighbor as yourself? Who is my neighbor? Well, that's, once again, a question that the religious leaders asked Jesus. Who is my neighbor? Luke 10, if you want to turn to Luke 10, verse 25. Jesus is again questioned. A lawyer came up and had a question for Jesus, asking him, well, okay, so we're supposed to love our neighbor as ourselves. Who is my neighbor? Luke 10, 25. A lawyer stood up to put him to the test, trying to question Jesus, saying, teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? He said to him, what is written in the law? How do you read it? And he answered, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind and your neighbor as yourself. And he, Jesus, said to him, you have answered correctly. Do this and you will live. Okay, so he got it. And he said, however, in verse 29, he was not asking uh, sincerely. It says, he, desiring to justify himself, said to Jesus, and who is my neighbor? And then Jesus continues on with the story of the Good Samaritan, which is probably familiar to, to most of us. But it struck me that in this instance, the lawyer was asking, seeking to justify himself, well, who is my neighbor? Or in other words, who can I get away with not really caring for? And I'm thinking, wow, this guy is really like, how proud and self-centered. And, but we do that. We do that. We, we try to put other people in, in little boxes so we don't really have to care for them. So we have, oh, well, if they're Samaritans, I don't really have to care for them. Or, oh, if they voted for, I don't have to. Or, oh, well, if they live in that part of town, I don't really have to. Or if they, right, we could continue. You can fill that in in your own mind. If we can come up with a little box and keep them in their, in their little box and I don't really have to care for them, I only have to care for people in my church or my denomination or my whatever, then it's okay. And we end up like so often like those people in the, in the parable who kind of pass by on the other side of the road, ignoring those who truly need us because it's outside our comfort zone. So he asked, who is my neighbor? Jesus gave this parable, pointed out how the Samaritan crossed some pretty major cultural boundaries in order to serve this guy. And then at the end, in making this application, Jesus then responded to the question with a question by saying, we'll look at it here, let's see, in verse 36. Which of these do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell among the robbers? So he flipped the question on the lawyer. Not who is my neighbor, but how do you be a better neighbor? How do you become a better neighbor? Who was the correct neighbor? And he said, well, it was the one who showed mercy. And Jesus said, you go and do likewise. He boiled it down to that. So it's not about those other people and like figuring out if they qualify for us to love them or not. It's about making sure we're the ones who are loving others, even if it's difficult and 
not comfortable. He mentioned at the end, the lawyer mentioned, it was the one who showed mercy that reminded me of uh, Micah 6. You don't have to turn there, but I do want to read it here quickly. Micah 6, we have a section on what does the Lord require of us in verses 6 through 8. With what shall I come before the Lord and bow myself before God on high? Shall I come before him with burnt offerings, with calves a year old? Will the Lord be pleased with thousands of rams, with ten thousands of rivers of oil? Shall I give my firstborn for my transgression, the fruit of my body for the sin of my soul? He has told you, O man, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you but to do justice, love, mercy, or kindness, and to walk humbly with God? Reflecting what Christ said later in Luke, do mercy, show mercy, show kindness, or as he says in many other passages, love others. So we're to love our neighbor, we're to show mercy, we're not to make qualifications on if we should care for people or not. That includes people with disabilities. I'm going to use that disabilities, special needs, uh, as sort of our example here, but it really applies to anyone we know who is suffering, going through times of hurt, brokenness, whether it's a, a, a moment, a crisis, or an extended period of time. Those who are hurting physically, emotionally, spiritually, we are to love others. But here, uh, for our intents and purposes this evening, we'll be speaking of those with disabilities. So, we have the idea that we're to love our neighbor. And so, we know then that our neighbor is even those with disabilities and hurt. So, then, what does the Bible say? What's the Bible's teaching on disabilities. It often gets wrapped up in a, in a wider study or a wider theme of what does the Bible say about hurt and suffering and brokenness. But a lot of times, back in the Bible and still today, there's a lot of misconceptions and different teachings. In John 9, Jesus is traveling with his disciples. John chapter 9 right at the beginning of the chapter. And you'll know that many, many, many times throughout Jesus' ministry here on earth, his work involved him caring for, stepping out of his way to care for, minister to, encourage, and heal those with disabilities. And even after that, even through all of that, his disciples come upon this man who is blind. Chapter 9, and he passed by, he saw a man blind from birth, and his disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Their question was, somebody sinned. They didn't even leave an opening that there was any other option. Somebody must have sinned. This guy's suffering. This man or his parents, who was it? You might remember Job. Oh, and all his encouraging friends. Oh, he must have done something. He must have sinned against God. He's going through this, this time of trial. So who sinned, this man or his parents? What did Jesus respond with? Jesus answered, 
It was not that this man sinned or his parents, but that the works of God might be displayed in him. So we're given a clue here that while, yes, sometimes our sin has real-life consequences that involve suffering and maybe brokenness, even in a physical way, there's not this direct causation. It's not just, oh, you sinned, therefore you're disabled. In this instance, he's pointing out it's about God and that his glory, that his work may be revealed in the life of this man. God in his wisdom sometimes brings us in and through situations that may be physically or emotionally painful. And that ought, us, ought to bring us to lean more closely on him and trust his wisdom and power in bringing us through. Then, what about Paul when he was afflicted with the thorn in the flesh? You can read all sorts of commentaries with all sorts of ideas on what exactly was the thorn in the flesh, but I think it's almost better that it's not really identified because it can apply in a lot of areas of our lives. He's going through this time of suffering, this time of pain, whatever it was, and it ends up not being about, oh, well, he necessarily did something wrong and, you know, he needs, to, he needs to repent so that he'll be healed. He prayed to God that it, w- it would be taken from him multiple times. But God's response is one of my favorite verses. 2 Corinthians 12. So he had, had mentioned some of these visions and revelations from the Lord. Then he goes on to mention in verse 7, his thorn being given to him. And verse 8, three times I pleaded with the Lord about this, that it should leave me. Verse 9, but he, the Lord, said to me, my grace is sufficient for you. My power is made perfect in weakness. I have people ask me fairly often about my perspective on, on being in a wheelchair and Um, well, do you wish such and such, or would you have changed if, or what if you could be healed? And I think that while it can be good to want something better or different, there's something about contentment in where God placed us. If I continue down a train of thought of, well, if only I such and such, The more I go down that path, the more discontent I am with where God placed me. And then we don't have a situation where his works can be revealed. It becomes about me and my comfort and my desire to just be happy and okay. And less about God's grace being sufficient. Paul's response after that that promise, even with that thorn not being taken away was, therefore, I will boast all the more gladly in my weakness so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. For the sake of Christ, then, I am content with weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities. For when I am weak, then I am strong. He doesn't say, oh, well, see, 
God's got it in control, under control, so it's all easy now. It's all great. No. But he's getting pushed to the arms of Christ amidst that pain. There's a lot of churches out there and people out there that will tell those with disabilities, well, if only you were healed, or then you would be such a mighty manifestation of the power of God. And uh, imagine if you had such great faith, then you could be healed. I've been told that multiple times. Well, we'll lay hands on you because Christ is the great physician, and then you'll be healed. Like, that is the biggest thing in our life. But Christ did not come to physically heal us, did he? Christ came to save us from sin. So it's not really about me walking. Like somebody asked me even just the other day, oh, well, you're, you're so happy, right? Because then you know in heaven you'll be able to walk someday. No, I'm happy because I'm saved and I'm going to see Jesus someday, right? Like that's, that's the perspective that we need. So it's not about being a, a second-tier Christian because we're not having enough faith to be healed. It's about um, running to the arms of Christ amidst our times of disability, suffering, pain, whatever that is, because his grace is sufficient. So we know it's not because of sin every time. We know God can work uh, in, the, in the lives of those who are suffering, those who are disabled. And it's not just about God just allowing this to happen in sort of a passive way. Um, Sometimes you might hear somebody say, like, well, God doesn't make mistakes. Like a sort of cliche statement, like, yes, true. But it's not just like he, well, let it happen. Sometimes he's directly involved every time. He is directly involved in creating a person on purpose for his purpose. That struck me in looking at Moses at the burning bush. If you want to turn with me to Exodus 4. So in Exodus 3, uh, God encounters Moses at the burning bush, begins to tell him his plan to rescue his people um, from Egypt. And Moses promptly begins his excuses. And God continues to answer them. Well, what if they say, who are you? Who am I to be doing this? Well, I'll be with you. Well, what if they ask who sent you? Tell them I am sent you. Well, verse 4, well, or chapter, chapter 4, he begins, he then continues with, well, I'm not really eloquent and I'm slow of speech, right? And God says, oh, you're right. After all that, I, I have to find someone else. No, God's not caught off guard. What does he say? Chapter 4, verse 10. We'll go, we'll go to Moses' excuse. Exodus 4, 10. But Moses said to the Lord, O oh my Lord, I am not eloquent, either in the past or since you have spoken to your servant. But I am slow of speech and of tongue. Then the Lord said to him, Who has made man's mouth? Okay. So like, I created you. I created your mouth. If I call you to do this, you do this. But wait, there's more. Who made man's mouth? Who makes him deaf or mute? Sorry, mute or deaf or seeing or blind? 
Is it not I, the Lord? I'd read through the Old Testament stories like a ton of times. Like, oh yeah, the the Exodus coming out of Egypt and the Red Sea and all these stories and stuff. And I, this hit me like a year ago. Like, God said, I created you. If I created you deaf or mute or seeing or blind. Not just, oh, well, he somehow let it happen. I did that, he said. So, like, if you can't talk right and I want you to lead my people, you're going to lead my people. Right? Like, he takes full ownership. He doesn't just somehow make some, some sort of excuse or beat around the bush like, oh, yeah, um, sometimes it happens, but it's for my glory. No, I did that. Okay, so then that, that should then lead us to think like, okay, so if he created people with disabilities on purpose, for his purpose, and wants to use them, then we need to be welcoming of those people in our congregations. If there are people with disabilities following Christ, they have gifts to add to the body. Paul talks a lot about the different gifts that members have and that they can use to add to the congregation. But in 1 Corinthians 12, if you turned there with me, 1 Corinthians 12, he takes that imagery of the body and expands on it. The chapter starts with a number of, with some, some discussion on the spiritual gifts. But then he goes in to use the imagery of a human body to discuss how we are to interact as a body, the local church being the visible body of Christ on earth. Let's look through this a little bit. So part of, part of what happens often, too often, is that somebody comes to a church with a disability or some other type of brokenness and is told, like, well, we don't really have room for that here, or that's kind of like a welfare case. We don't really do that here, or we have a room for you down the hall if you want to, because we're trying to worship here, so if your child makes a little bit of noise because they have such and such disability. We, we, we don't really do that here. Or you don't really have such and such a thing that can really add to our community. So that person's never really accepted. And you end up with verse 14. For the body does not consist of one member, but of many. 15. If the foot should say, well, because I'm not a hand, I do not belong to the body. That would not make it any less a part of the body. Or If the ear should say, because I'm not an eye, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would be the sense of hearing? If the whole body were an ear, where would be the sense of smell? So, we're to have unity in the body of Christ. But we're to have that unity even in the midst of diversity. Whether it's accepting people with disabilities, accepting people from different cultural backgrounds. 
we're to have differences and appreciate those differences because as was mentioned before, God made people different on purpose for his purpose. So if a church then is responding the right way, they will respond with, let's look at verse 22. On the contrary, the parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable, and on those parts of the body that we think less honorable, we bestow the greater honor. And our unpresentable parts are treated with greater modesty, which our more presentable parts do not require. Um, but God has so composed the body, giving greater honor to the part that lacked it. Um, even back in, um, well, actually, we'll, we'll pause on that. So, we have, um, we have to remember that those differences are important. We have to accept those who may seem weaker in our eyes. And it's not just about including them. Inclusion is a big buzzword these days. Um, even several years ago, I went, to, um, I went to college for elementary education and special education, and inclusion was, was the word of the day. Um, how do we include those who are different, those who are struggling? Those, and I read a quote recently. There's a, a professor and pastor, um, John Swinton, who studies a lot of what the, the Bible and disabilities and struggles. And he came out with this quote that, that struck me on inclusion versus belonging, being a part of the body. He says, the problem we have with society is a real emphasis and a quite right emphasis on inclusion. I think at one level that's fine. However, inclusion is simply not enough. To include people in society is just to have them there. All we have to do is make the church accessible, have the right political structures, make sure people have a cup of tea at the end of the service. Coffee. <clears throat> anyway, um, there is a big difference between inclusion and belonging. To belong, you have to be missed. There is something really, really important about that. People need to long for you, to want for you to be there. When you're not there, they should be looking for you. When things are wrong, people should be outraged, absolutely outraged that people are doing things against people with disabilities. That sounds awfully similar to 1 Corinthians 12, verse 26. If one member suffers, all suffer together. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. That's what a healthy church will look like. If one member suffers, all suffer together. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. So we've seen that God created and can absolutely work through those with disabilities. We've seen that our attitude should be one of mercy, showing love to our neighbor and those who are going through disabilities and life's challenges. 
and that we should recognize the gifts of our fellow believers and seek to foster them so the whole body can grow. So, now, I said I wasn't going to give strategies. It's not really strategies. But what can we do? I kind of like to boil it down to stop, look, and listen. Stop, look, listen. And some of these will sort of reflect the story of the Good Samaritan a little bit. So first, stop. We need to stop crossing over to the other side, avoiding people who are out of our comfort zone. We need to stop allowing busyness to get in the way of mercy. Um, like, we're all busy. Like, I get it. Like, we, we, especially, I think, in our culture, thrive on being busy. We are proud of being busy. We ask, oh, brother, how was your week? How are you doing? Well, let me tell you. you know, I'm leading this small group, and I'm working 47 hours, and I'm, you know, like, we love to share all the things we're doing and all the busyness we're doing, but do we stop? We're not really going to see that man on the side of the road if we're not willing to stop, slow down a little bit. And as was mentioned, we need to stop keeping people in our little boxes of, I can love them, I don't have to love them. I do a lot of talk sometimes to, uh, with youth groups and, and young adult groups, and I like to say that like, we're called to love everyone. This is like, okay, fine. But like, the baseline is love your enemies. I ask people like, oh, well, who's your enemy? Love them. Everybody else should be easy, right? Like, love them. Don't make qualifications. Love people. Especially our friends with special needs are often, often verbally um, attacked, bullied. Um, it could be a look in the grocery store. I can't tell you how many times, like, nonverbal communication is huge. And have somebody either walk through a doorway and, like, wait for it to close in the, you know, before I come through or pretend to be on a phone call and turn the other way so they don't have to interact with me. Like, it happens. It's not hypothetical. Um, it happens more than you think. Love others. So stop, look, look beyond our comfort zone. Actively look for opportunities to serve and to love people. Um, we're, we're often so lost behind our screens and with our being plugged in. I sound like an old-fashioned old person. What am I saying? No. We, we're so lost behind these screens, but we don't look out. We, we're not looking for opportunities to serve. We're looking for ways to be entertained and comforted. So look for those who, look for those who need our love and listen. Listen, a lot of times I'll ask people, or, or people ask me, well, what can we do in our church? What can we do with our youth group? We, what can we do with such and What can we do in our community? Like, I don't live in your community. I can't really tell you. I mean, I can give you some ideas, but like, you have people here. Ask them. Like, the people in your own community will know how best they can be served. Um, and what might be a real need here might not be a need for the, this church in Maryland or whatever, right? Like, but 
Don't ask me. Ask the people that you're connecting with, that you're living life with on a week-to-week basis. Ask and listen. Listen to God's word and let that shape your hearts and minds. It's not about just reading an article, seven strategies for serving people with special needs. I don't know. I just made that up. Um, It's about reading God's word and letting that realign our attitude in all areas of life. So stop, look, listen. And then finally, we can't truly love others like ourselves. We can't truly love our neighbors as ourselves if we're not loving the Lord with all our heart, soul, mind, strength. Like, it should naturally flow from that. So therefore, if you're not really loving God, if you're not really following Christ yet, you can't truly love us. You can be nice. You can be friendly. But you're not really going to care at a level that the Bible calls us to. You're going to kind of check it off as something, well, I did my nice thing, right? So that's really what it boils down to. It boils down to the gospel. A lot of times, people like to refer to Christianity like, oh, well, it's just a crutch for weak people. Excuse me? Actually, it is, in a sense. I have a lot of friends who use crutches. You might have even needed to after an injury. Those who are well have no need of a physician, right? If you have a crutch, it is used to support you as you continue to grow stronger, right? For a while, before I I had the wheelchair, when I was younger, I used like a full body brace, kept me rigid, and then I had crutches to help me get around. If I had, um, if I, so let's say I was in the process of getting getting all of that uh, to happen, talking to doctors, things like that, I had just my wheelchair, I was really struggling, and said, oh, wait, we we have crutches for you, we want you to be, well, no. Because that means I'm not able to walk, and then I have, people will see that I'm really weak, and so I don't want to use crutches. Like, what? Like, oh, well, we have a new wheelchair for you. Well, no. <laughs> wheelchair? No, that, then people will see that I can't walk. Like, what? Like, that sounds ridiculous, right? But we respond the same way to the gospel sometimes. Well, no, I'll figure it out myself. Like, thanks. I'm, I'm okay. I've, I'm, pretty, I'm a nice guy. And we continue to live our lives in our own way. If, not if. God, like we said multiple times, made us on purpose for his purpose. But we've continued to think, well, this is the way I actually want to live. I want to do things this way. I don't really want to love other people, and I don't really care about living God's way. And that brings us headed down a dangerous path. And... In the Bible, we see, and in real life, we see, like, sin, acting in the wrong way, requires a consequence, requires judgment. And that's the way we're headed, naturally. But the Bible says that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Like, that is love. We, we mentioned not putting people in a box because we're, or, or not not caring for people because it's out of our comfort zone because they don't 
walk, talk like us? Like what kind of, it's not really the same comfort zone, but he came from heaven to earth to be spat on, mistreated, killed. Like talk about out of a comfort zone, right? For love, for God so loved the world. That's huge. That's the Jesus we're to follow. And if we are following him and loving him as we ought, only then will we be able to love our neighbor as ourselves. I'm going to end on that. And I want us to think about that, but let's just close our time in prayer. Dear Lord, we thank you for your word and we thank you for the lessons in it, the commands in it, the promises in it. We pray, Lord, that we will live in the way that you want us to live, that we will live according to your word and the commands you've given for us. We pray, Lord, that we will grow in our love for you, that we will not put things above you, that that we will not um, allow our own desires and, and wants and comfort to take your place in our hearts. And we pray, Lord, as we grow in our love for you, that we would then grow in our love for others, that we will be more aware and willing to serve, care for, love our neighbors as ourselves. And I pray, Lord, for any here who are not saved yet, that they would see the wonder of what you have done for us in sending your only son to die for our sins. We thank you for this time, and we pray that you will bless us throughout this upcoming week. In Jesus' name, amen.